cue slide. Um, that's called in community. And I promise we didn't have, we did not schedule the membership thing the, the, on the day of just because of that. We really didn't. It just happened to fall that way. But one of the things that's interesting, it actually just happened to me again. When I find myself reading the kind of commitment, especially the one where we're inviting each other into, that, that y'all are responding to, and to hear the, the collective voice of the church say, yeah, I'll be for you. Yeah, I'll give myself to you. Yeah, I'll be a part of the kind of people that are gonna that are gonna hone each other and point each other towards Jesus. Like, I could just stirs my heart. It makes me go, yes, this is what we were redeemed for. So it's it's beautiful. We just got to experience there is like like an engrafting in of the thing that's already been engrafted. It's awesome. It's beautiful and it's good. And so this morning we're beginning a new series for the next few weeks on, on community. We're actually calling it In Community. As you know, this year we're focusing on being the kind of people who are, who are becoming the kind of people who, who, are, who are living out their calling in community. And we spent months now talking about calling and a whole bunch of different angles from, from work that we just finished to different kinds of broad scale calling to the general calling that you have to the specific callings that God's put on your heart. But we want to spend the next few weeks focusing around the area of community. What does it mean to live and to be in community? So I'm going to begin by just making a bold statement because you know I can. Um, this is the bold statement. So to the degree that we understand and relate to God as Trinity, to that degree will we be able to flourish in community with each other and then ultimately with the world. Let me say that one more time. To the degree that we understand and that we relate to God as Trinity, to that degree will we be able to flourish in community. That's the thesis. That's why we're going to begin today by talking about the Trinity. It is not possible biblically to be able to address anything about how we relate to one another unless we first come underneath and enter into the reality that God is already a community. It's impossible. And so let me read some passages here. Hear the word of the Lord uh, from various passages in the scriptures, starting in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Matthew 11, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father and and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John 10, I and the Father are one. John 15, Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Finally, Matthew 3, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased loved ones this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God 
Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about Trinity, whether it's the word, the concept, the theological idea, the there's been, when I was growing up, you know, when you're like eight or 10 and you're trying to understand what the Trinity is, you have a lot of well-meaning people who try to say, well, let me give you a metaphor. And let me just say, every metaphor for the Trinity ends up being heresy. I mean, it's pretty much, there's no way around it. Like as soon as you find yourself being like, okay, let me explain, it's like an egg. You know, it's like so. One part's the shell, the other part's the yolk. I don't know which one. I guess the spirit is the, is the white of the egg. I mean, it's just, right? And it just collapses. And you guys are probably familiar with the water, the water metaphor, right? So, you know, God's like water, you know, H2O, but it takes on different forms. You know, sometimes it's, sometimes, of course, it's ice, you know, like the God of the Old Testament, you know, ice. And then there's, and then there's water because, you know, Jesus. And then there's like vapor. Spirit, see how that just works great, except no, that's not at all correct. All kinds of broken elements on that. Or there's the three leaf clover, you know, for our Irish friends. I know four is supposed to be the thing, but four, three leaf clover. You know, it's one plant, but it has three leaves. Here's the thing. The problem with these metaphors, aside from their like natural and, and genuine heresy built in of modalism, of Arianism, of partialism, I mean like, like all the stuff that the early church had to actually like fight off, we like put back into like eggs and water. That's what we did, but it's okay. Like all I had to say is like, I love you. Don't do it, okay? Like if you want to understand the Trinity, there's some amazing books, including a couple I'm going to be quoting from today. Enjoy those and let the God delight you with who he really is. But here's because here's the thing, here's the thing. When we start talking about God in these particular ways and try to understand the Trinity and enter it into it with these kinds of pieces, it betrays something in us. It's impersonal. Eggs, water, three-leaf clover, like these are things. God's not a thing. Like he's not something for us to understand. He's someone for us to know someone for us to be connected to. Yes, is there mystery? A hundred percent. There is definitely mystery within that, but that's neither an excuse to be all like super pious, being like, oh, Trinity, like, yeah, that belongs over there. And I you know, and I'm just, I'm spiritual enough to know that you just can't understand it. And so you just leave it alone. Like none of that. That's not true. Like God's revealing himself. Like he's shown real things about who he is. And we'll see that. But also like it matters. It's not dismissible as just a theological concept. As I said, to the degree in which we relate to God as Trinity, to that degree, honestly, are you relating to the real God? And secondly, are we going to be able to relate to one another? Cool? Anyone going to be using some metaphors going forward? No. Okay, good. My work is done. <laughs> so we're going to look at this in three parts today. Uh, first, we're going to look at why does it matter that God is a Trinity? Why does it matter that God's Trinity? Secondly, we're going to look at how does God being a trinity affect the way that we relate to him, okay? And then thirdly, we're going to say how does the fact that God is a trinity affect the way in which we relate to one another, okay? Let's start off with the first. How, what does it matter? Why does it matter that God is trinity? Now, we're going to we'll start with head and heart. We're going to a little bit of head first, but we're going to go to the heart. We're going to stir the heart. Um, God being a trinity is, first of all, how he's chosen to reveal himself. Not, not because it's not who he is. But the Bible is filled with the reality that God is Trinity. We can't deduce it from nature. When we talk about Romans, there's no way to God, you're going to understand God as Trinity from nature. He has 
in his special revelation in scripture has described and given himself to us in this way. And three basic truths emerge from the scriptures, if you're going to look through the entirety of the scriptures, about how God reveals himself. First, that there's one God and only one. Secondly, that this God not only exists, but exists or subsists eternally as three distinct persons. So God is one and only one, and he exists, subsists is the right word, in three distinct persons. And this means that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not distinctions of God's being. They are distinctions in God's being. And third, the three peace persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. That is the theological, biblical understanding of what's true of the Trinity. Now, you have to hold all three of these truths at the same time in tension, and they are no doubt in tension, or you, as I said, slide into one of these dangerous heresies. But let me just point out something. Like, Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, well, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't agree on, right? There's plenty of things that the Protestants don't agree with. But let me just say, we all agree on this. And if you don't agree on the Trinity, like you're not even in Christendom of any kind. It is the bedrock reality of understanding what Orthodox true reality with God is. So as Father, Son, and Spirit, the Father was neither begotten nor preceded. The Son is the only begotten of the Father. He's eternally the image of God and the Spirit, as we just read, proceeds from the Father and the Son. But here's the cornerstone. And this is what we're going to be kind of focused on as we talk through the rest of this time. The cornerstone ultimately comes from what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, when he says plainly, God is love. Now, love implies relationship. And love is not something that, you, that God put on when he started creating things. It has eternally always been so. You cannot love if there is not an object to love, if there's not something to love, which is why Jesus in the upper room in, in John chapter 17 says this. Listen, listen with the ears of, of, of the Trinity. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, it's like the heart of Jesus. I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. And you talk about what Joel's talking about. You want to know what Jesus wants? Like he wants you with him. But here, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Aristotle looked at the Trinity and basically simplified it this way. He said it's, it's lover, beloved, and love itself. Lover, beloved, and, and love itself. And think, about, think with me for a second here. The God of the Bible is not a solitary God, right? Like if you think about like Islam, Allah, right? Allah is, he, he creates all things according to Islam and but he's one God. He's a, he's a true monotheism. There is no parts to him. Why does God, and what does Allah create? He creates to rule. 
it's, it's at his, that's the center, the core. And that doesn't mean by any straight or form that the God of the Bible is somehow needy, that, 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 that he's lonely in some way, shape, or form. God's not missing anything. So you may ask, okay, so why does God create? Why does he create the angels? Why does he, why does he create the universe? Why does he create you and me? Well, to, to explain this better than I would, I've got a series of quotes here from people who just talk better than I do. So just follow along with me. So what are, why does God create? What's going on in the reality of the Trinity? Let's start with Daryl Johnson, but, which by the way, Daryl Johnson's book called Experiencing the Trinity, it's a thin little book. It's the best book on the Trinity, experientially, to just like go into it. Highly recommend it, Experiencing the Trinity. Here's what Daryl says. I'm gonna be quoting him a couple different times. He says, at the center of the universe is a relationship. All right, you know, I want you to say that with me. Ready? At the center of the universe is a relationship. All right, that was terrible. Come on. Listen, think about this. At the center of the universe is a relationship. At the center of the universe is a relationship. At the center of the universe is a community. It is out of that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. It is for that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. Richard Siebes is a Puritan theologian and he captures this beautifully. He says, if, if God has not had a communicative spreading goodness, he would never have created the world. Listen, the father so enjoyed his fellowship with the son that he wanted to have the goodness of it spread out and communicated, shared with others. The creation was a free choice born out of nothing but love. No sequence of quotes is good without a Tim Keller quote from Reason for God. I love this. He says, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness. Now again, just think about the Trinity relating to one another at the center of the universe in this relationship. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When, when we delight or, or serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We, we center on the interest and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, and defers to and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic pulsating dance of joy and love. And lastly, Daryl Johnson again says, listen, and this is so pivotal. The living God is not a solitary God. The living God is not a lonely God. The living God is the Trinitarian God. From all eternity, the living God has existed in community as community in fellowship as fellowship, in relationship as relationship. From all eternity, the living God has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always. 
From all eternity, the living God has been able to speak of himself as we, us, and our. And here is the incredibly good news. We were brought into being to participate with God in that usness. You and I were brought into being by the Trinity to participate in the interlife, inner life of the Trinity. Now, I'm going to do a Steve Heimler. <laughs> like, let that blow your mind, right? I don't know. You think he does it better, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, does that blow your mind? From all eternity, God has existed in relationship. It's, it's the essence of reality. Blows my mind. If you woke up this morning and you're wondering if your life matters, if it has aim, if you're feeling aimless or lonely, know this. You and I were brought into being by the Trinity to participate in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The bottom line about the Trinity is this. God's the point. As Larry Krebs said once, he said, he's the thing that's happening. The eternity, eternal community of three persons exists for its own sake in exquisite and in, in infinite and incomparable relational joy. That's the eternal reality of God as Trinity. Now that is what we will labor for the remainder of our days to, to get our arms around it, to wrap our hearts into and to move towards so, so let me try and take the, the reality of what's going on in the Trinity right now and, and try to move it into what does that mean about how we relate to him? So secondly, how does God being a Trinity affect the way that we relate to him? Well, there's many, many things, but I want to focus on, on, on four simple ones. Not simple, but they're... First is just sin and salvation, worship, and then identity. So how does God being a trinity affect the way that we see sin and, and salvation? The way we relate to him, we relate to sin and salvation. How do we relate to them? Said, said another way, how, how does the trinity affect the shape, if you will, of our salvation? Well, okay, so let's, go, let's use the comparative thing again. Let's talk about like for, for Allah, right? The God of Islam, who's a single person God, monotheism. Primarily, God, Allah is all-powerful, right? He is almighty. Back to rulership, Right? So therefore, sin is a matter of externals. It's about external obedience, which by the way, even if you do keep the rules, Allah still withholds the right to be able to say, no, sorry, I still don't want you in. You're still not in. So sin in a sense is a refusal to submit. Sin isn't what the heart's trying to do or desiring or it's just not about motivations. It's a testing of the person based on an arbitrary sometimes set of laws of doing what he's commanded. Not out of love or out of relationship to him, but fundamentally submitting to him as the supreme being. So therefore, sin is doing disobedient things, okay? Salvation, maybe, is not doing disobedient things and doing obedient things. Which, by the way, is some of how we relate at times to God. That, that sin and salvation are about what I do for God or what I can, how I net-net my sin versus good deeds. Loved ones, that's, that's not the Trinitarian God. That's not the story of the gospel. 
That echoes the reality of Islam, ironically. So what is sin with the God who is a trinity? Well, God who is a trinity, sin is broken relationship. As a relational God, the external acts, the things that we do against God's perfect law are just a manifestation of a broken relationship. The greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So so to not love is to sin. To sin against this God is to sin relationally. Our affections, right? Our desires have turned somewhere else. We've run away, we've run away from relationship, from, from the invitation to participate in the ever joyful and the continuously loving and the supremely satisfying community of the Trinity. And we're seeking our salvation, our joy, and our love in ourselves, for ourselves, somewhere else. That's what sin is to the Trinitarian God. It's broken relationships, which is why John Owen says, you can in no way displease the Father more than when you fail to believe that he loves you. Every time you sin, you have failed to believe that God loves you. It's actually all the way at the source, always at the bottom. I promise you, when you are filled with the reality of the love of God, you will not move towards sin. So what is salvation then for the Trinitarian God of the Bible? Well, eternally, the father who who loves his son, the God whose aim is not just to send us home with a good report card, but to draw us into this life and into this love, into this this relationship and, and status that he has been enjoying for eternity. That's what salvation is. It's not keeping you out of hell, though technically I guess it is. Ultimately, salvation is God drawing you into the love relationship of the Trinity that has been going on forever. It's about becoming sons and adopted daughters. Adopted by the eternal Father. It's it's more than just forgiveness. You see, when the Father reveals the Son to us in the flesh... We simultaneously see both how loving God is, and we talk about this all the time when we come to the, to the table, and also how far we've fallen. Without the cross, it's impossible for us to fundamentally imagine the magnitude and the seriousness of what it means for God to love us. It's through the cross that, God, that we see a God who delights to give himself. So when you think about salvation, about your salvation, about what you've been redeemed for and from and to, what does it look like? What must we see? Well, we must see the Father who sent the Son because he so loved the Son that he wanted to share the love and the joy that he has with us. The Father's love for us is an overflow of his almighty love for his Son. And the son came because he so loved the father that he wanted to share his love and fellowship with us. And Jesus' sacrificial love is just an overflowing of the love that he has for the father. And the spirit, the very spirit of love between the father and the son comes to convict us, to to open our eyes, to, to draw our affections towards the father and the son 
to a restored and satisfying relationship. That is what salvation is. So that's a fundamental reframing potentially of how we see our salvation in light of this God who is Trinity. What about worship? Like this morning, I was thinking about this as, as I was worshiping and it'll make more sense after I read this. Like, what do you think about when you're worshiping, whether here or at home or in your car, when, you're, when you turn your heart to, to raise up the name of God and to praise Jesus, like what, what, what are you thinking about? Like what, what are you participating in or what are you doing? This was probably one of the most significantly helpful reframing pieces for me. And I read this a few years ago, but then I reread it again uh, recently. Uh, this is again a, a quote from Daryl Johnson. It's a long quote, so I'm gonna use the Steve Heimler. Hey guys, I'm so sorry, I know it's against the rules, but Steve does it, so I'm gonna do it too. Um, so here it is, you ready? Stay with me, stay engaged. You with me, everybody, you with me? All right, look at the screen, listen to the spirit. This is what he says, he says, it's a staggering thought. We were created and redeemed to enter into the love each person of the Trinity has for the other. I am created and redeemed to love each person of the Trinity with my love, right? That's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the really glorious thing is that I am invited to now love each person of the Trinity with the love of the other person of the Trinity. Listen, the Father really loves the Son, an understatement. The Son has been and always will be the Father's great delight. The Father draws near to us to draw us into his love for the Son. Glory. I love Jesus. I love uh, Jesus Christ, the Son, but my love is so puny, especially compared to the Father's love for Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the father draws, draws near to me to draw me near to himself so that I can love the son the way he does. And the son really loves the father. Another understatement. This is the secret of Jesus' existence, the driving force of his ministry. He really loves the father. This is why he's always talking about the father. And the son draws near to me in order to draw me near to himself so that I can love God, the, God, I can love the father the way he does. And the spirit? Well, the spirit is totally taken up with the goodness and beauty of the son and the father. And the spirit falls upon us a bit stronger than draws near so we can be ravaged with his love for the son and the father. Co-lovers with God of God. This is what worship is all about. The Father, listen to this. This is what's, this is what's happening earlier. This is what's happening right now. The Father praises the Son. The Son worships the Father. The Father draws near to us to draw us near to Himself so that He can, so that we can praise the Son the way He does. The Son draws near to us to draw us near to himself so that we can worship the Father the way he does. And the Spirit, well, the Spirit comes upon us to fill us with his passion to see the Father and the Son glorified. The Spirit gives us entry into the inner Trinitarian delight. And this is what I hope you're invited into in this. This lifts a huge burden off my soul, he says. I so often feel terrible that I am not offering the worship God is worthy to receive. Like, do you ever feel that? You're like, what am I doing? I'm just saying words. 
So I don't offer the worship God, God deserves, is worthy to receive. My worship is so inadequate and so fickle. What I am learning is that God is receiving, receiving the worship that God is worthy to receive. The Father is receiving it from the Son. The Son is receiving it from the Father. And I am invited. I am drawn by the Spirit into that altogether worthy worship. God is being glorified quite well, thank you. God being rightly glorified is not my burden. It is happening. And you and I are by the Spirit to enter into it. I don't know about you, but that shifts the fundamental way in which we even think about what we're worshiping. The words that are coming, those aren't words. Like we're engaging with God. Like the glory of the Father praising the Son, the Son praising, like we're, we get to be brought in on that. It's not us over here and him over there. No. It's us with the Father, with the Son, through the Spirit. I mean, do you see how that fundamentally shifts the way we think about it? If it's, if it's, if it's Allah, he's over there. But that's not what we're brought into. Okay, I'm going on. I'm taking my next points. I'm so excited. He described this is how we relate to God in worship. And, and, and try it on. It was a delight this morning to just, to, just, to just think about the fact that the Father's enjoying the Son and delighting in him. That what we're saying, he's like, yeah, yeah, this is true of him. And what we're saying about the Father, that we're inviting the Spirit to enter in. Ah, I got to keep going. Okay. This is how we change, changes our worship. But maybe most significantly, and this is what I would say is most significant because of who we are, God's saving us and inviting us into the circle of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit means that we belong. And, and that, loved ones, like awakens our soul and carries us through. Dallas Willard says it beautifully. He says, it is being included in the eternal life of God that heals all wounds and allows us to stop demanding satisfaction. What really matters of a personal nature once it is clear that you are included? You have been chosen. God chose you. This is the message of the kingdom. Now, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, I know what it's like to be people. And I know what it's like to hear from, from, from what you're desiring. And all I know is this, is that I, I long to belong. And from 20 years of being a pastor, I know that you long to belong. Everyone in the world is, is crying out to belong to something. And, and honestly, we'll see people sacrifice. We'll see them bend their values, their sense of what they're about, or even like fundamentally completely debase themselves in order to belong to something, right? You know it because you've probably done it. I know, so I have. And maybe you know it because you've watched other people choose it and it breaks your heart. But we long to belong, be a part of something. That could be a political enclave, a sports team, a family, like a real family. Maybe it's a sexual identity or just a less than ideal group of friends, but we long to belong. And we long to belong because we have been made to belong. You've been made to belong. And the great news 
is that the salvation of the triune God says that you belong. That you belong in the most intimate, the most beautiful, and the most powerful community into a tangible, real family of God. Uh, we have this thing that Becky instituted a few years ago. Becky always institutes all the cool things. Um, and um, Becky's my wife, by the way. And uh, she, she just started doing this thing when I, people would come, like when our kids would come home and when I'd come home and we'd walk in the door and she would, <laughs> she would shout out. And for me, she would shout out, Maddie's home, Maddie's home. Quick caveat, do not call me Maddie. Um, <laughs> But it's not just this like, hey, Matt, Matt's, you know, hey, hey, Matt, Matt's home. No, no, no. It's this, it's this cheer of celebration. Now, I'm just going to say I've been to several of y'all's homes. Like, none of you greeted me that way. <laughs> none of you were like, Matt's here, Matt's here. Right? None of that happened. You know, like, Becky's here, Becky. It didn't happen. It's okay. That's really okay. Although, I don't know if I show up to someone's house next. Maybe that's what you should do, you know. A little like you were paying attention, you know. Um, but uh, but what, what does that communicate? Like this, there's, a, there's a cheer that's roused for just walking in the door. You know what that means? It means I belong. And she's glad I'm here. She's excited about the fact that I'm bringing home all both of my, my burdens and also my delights, all my, all my successes and probably some of my failures. Maddie's home. To be drawn into the circle of the Trinity is to belong. And therefore, to participate with God in the intimate, joy-filled servanthood, purity, power, creativity, and peace that is there. C.S. Lewis paints the picture, which is where Tim Keller got the concept in Mere Christianity, when he says, God is not a static thing. And Lord, my prayer for y'all has been like, may God be, not be a static thing to us. God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. This is what's going on within the community of the Trinity. These are the essential dynamics of the life within the circle of relationship at the center of the universe. And this is what we're being drawn into. That's how God being a trinity affects the way in which we relate to him. But lastly and briefly, how does God being a trinity shape the way that we relate in community to one another? Now we're going to spend the next several weeks unpacking this in very particular, practical, specific ways. But let's just talk about this broadly. And just like we saw in regard to worship, as disciples of Christ, we participate all right, I'm saying this like this is not a big deal. Listen, so we're talking about in worship. As disciples of Jesus, we participate with God in loving each other. I'm not blowing your mind yet. We'll get there. Here's what I mean. As an adopted son or daughter of God, you have become to me like Jesus, my older brother. Now, as I look at him, I can't help but see you held by his love. And conversely, as you look at him, you can't help but see him holding me in his love. 
which means that I increasingly cannot relate to anyone without seeing them within the circle of the Trinity, which is incredibly freeing, just like we talked about with worship, because it lifts, lifts the burden off. Here's why. I and you are, are commanded to love. I'm commanded to love you as I love myself. And sometimes I do, and often I don't. I'm commanded to love you as he has loved you. Sometimes I do, and my family could attest, often I don't. But imagine, imagine if we related as though, as we thought of our love for one another as it actually is that I am not to love you as much as, as he loves, but I'm to love you with him as he loves you. Said in another way, that I'm to see him loving you and join him in loving you. that I'm to be a co-lover, in a sense, with the Trinity. Just, I think we're going to talk about this passage next week. It's 1 John uh, chapter 1. John basically says, he says, we want you to have fellowship with us, he says. So we want, want you to, to be in a love relationship with us. But he says, and our fellowship, just to be clear, is, is with the Father and, and, and his Son, Jesus Christ, which means, and this is kind of category busting, but this means that but there's no such thing as having a direct relationship with each other. That our relationship is always with each other in and with the Trinity. That I'm to have a love for you by, by, by joining the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in their loving you. And that you are to join the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in loving me and, and the people in your community group and, and the people that are friends of yours and your spouse and your, you're joining him. Which leads us, by the way, to ask fundamentally different questions of ourselves when we're engaging with each other in community or even in our parenting. The question is, how can I best join the triune God in loving you? Not what can I get out of you? How do I get you to obey? No, how can I, how can I join the triune God in loving you? And the answer is on that phone. Listen, the, the triune God has been eternally happy within himself. And, and that's what God desires for each of us. To enter into, not, not to, it's almost like, I wish... You guys remember, do you guys, any of you guys did premarital counseling and like, um, this is a kind of old school methodology, but like, you know, it was kind of like, the, everyone did you, the, 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 someone drew the, the triangle for you? You know, it's like, here's you and here's your spouse. I'm not mocking it, it's actually good. Here's you and here's your spouse. I don't know why, it just came out a little mocky. I didn't mean that. Um, here's a really cool thing. You and your spouse, wow. Um, and it's not just the two of you, right? There's actually someone else involved, right? And so it's this picture of you participating with God that there's never a way or a time or a means by which you're having a marital conflict or whatever where God's not in the middle of it. Well, that, that, that spread that out. 
There's never a time where you're going to get together, some of you this afternoon with your community group, where it's like just people being with each other. No, it means that there's always the Trinity present. And instead of seeing us like trying to drag God into the context in which we're having a relationship, what if we shifted the paradigm to, we'll call it actual reality, which is that we're entering into the presence of the Trinity to love with the love of God the other. Like when you sit there and you're like, I can't stand you. Right? I mean, there's people in your group, you know who they are, you know, or friends of yours that you're like, I think we're done, you know, or, or your spouse that you're like, huh. Um, and you're like, what does it look like to say, hey, right now, as I don't like you, God loves you. He, he rejoices over you. He delights in you. He has visions and, and passions for you that I clearly don't have. And so instead of trying to muster up, I just enter into, I participate with God in seeing his love for you and being a part of that, of participating in the love that is already present in the Trinity. Do you see how this gets down to like, to just life life? You're never alone in your fights. You're never alone in, in the moment you're gossiping about somebody because they're driving you crazy. That's not what's going on. The question is, how do I relate to God as he loves you? That's what it means to be people who relate in light of the Trinity, who see God as he actually is, reality as it actually is. This is what God, this is what Jesus meant when he said in, in, to his disciples in the upper room, he said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why? Not because, not because it's a reflection of God's love for us, though of course it is, right? It's not like people are going to be like, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, Jay really loves brick. And so because I see Jay loving brick, I know that God is a God of love because clearly, you know, they're loving each other. And so God must be a part of them. No, no. It's actually an invitation for the world to see that God is present tense loving brick. And he happens to be using Jay to be a part of that. You are my disciples. that we are actively participating with him, present tense, and loving the other. So loved ones, here's the gospel. The Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who is love, draws near to you and to me, sinful, broken, mortal people as we are, messy, to draw you and me near to himself in order to draw us within the circle of the lover, the beloved, and love itself. And by grace, you and I have become participants with God in love. Do you, are you struggling with your sense of identity and calling? Like that's the calling. We are participants with the Trinity in love. It's the very reasons for our existence. And by the way, it's the means by which we get to engage every single person that we're gonna encounter for the rest of our lives. So let me make this clear as I close here. We don't create communities. Yeah, if you want to be in a community group, yeah, you email David and he puts you in a community group. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't create communities. The real, the, the ultimate reality is that we, we join, we enter, we, we're drawn into the community of love that that's, that's at the center of the universe, universe that's always been and always be, will be full of love that is in relationship. And from that center, in that relational home, we participate with the Spirit to grow communities of love.
And, and that's why the church is like nothing else in the world. Because we grow communities of love in the midst of and through the power of and in the presence of the Trinity. So, which leads us, of course, to this table. The Father so loved the Son that the Son came and gave himself, breaking his body and shedding his blood, that he would take the penalty for our rebellion, choosing ourselves instead of choosing the perfection of the love of the Father that he offered us, that he offers us today. He died to bring us back into right relationship. And relationship, a relationship of beauty that is, that is just like the one with his Father. And so this morning, as you, as you come and, and you take these elements, the, the reasons why we do these this every week is that it's the reminder to you that you're invited into relationship with the God who has made the way. That if anything you've taken from the sermon is like, cool, I need to love better. It's like, okay, cool, that's not going to work. But, but nonetheless, come forward and receive the reality that you are loved. Just tell, did you see what this is talking about? It's telling you this is what love does. And so you take it in and you agree with it and you say, Lord, make me more like that as I, as I lean into you in the ways in which you are loving the world, changing the world, confronting the world. Did you see what, this is what this does to you. So as you come and you receive these elements and you hold them, like you're holding the, the elements of what love looks like. And so allow them to, to go deep into your soul. Rejoice in them. Praise the Son with the love of the Father who is praising the Son for giving himself for you on the cross with these elements reminding us of it. Let's pray. Father, oh, I, to talk about the beauty and the power of who you are as the triune God, as, as the eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Spirit, I just, words fail. And even having used many, still fail. But, uh, but you are being worshiped right now, rightly. And so, Father, we want to enter that. We want to come, and as we take these elements, we want to receive to step into that circle of love that has been bought for us at the price of God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son. So we receive that, and with joy, we step in and delight in the beauty of the Trinity because you've invited us in, because... <laughs> We belong, not by merit, but by grace. And so we receive this grace, we delight in it, and Lord, we want to share it with other people. So make us the kind of people who know it, live it, and give it away. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus,